Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. All right. I think we're going to go ahead and get started this. Uh, I guess we're already kind of started, but we'll get started with the, uh, the message this evening. Uh, We've been going through the book of Revelation here at Kaleo, um, and um, last week, uh, Jordan Hamblin spoke, and he spoke on the fall and judgment of Babylon, that great prostitute. And with Babylon, we saw that it was representative of the great nations and cultures that man has built in defiance to God. It's a world that demands our allegiance. It's hostile toward God. It demands that we worship its idols rather than Christ. That's the lie that those who follow after her and become as the world is that we will be given ultimate pleasure and satisfaction. But in chapter 18, we saw the end of Babylon and what her end was. It was not ultimate joy and satisfaction. It was destruction, right? It was judgment from God. And in Revelation chapter 18, verse 20, says... Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. So we saw the judgment of of Babylon, and there's a call to rejoice, and we're going to be looking a little bit more at that call to rejoice, the rejoicing of God's servants. So we're going to read our passage for today. Uh, It's Revelation 19, verses 1 through 10. Uh, If you would stand for the reading of God's word. It says, After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For his judgments are true and just, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah! And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, great and small, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, 
Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. In our passage today, I'd say uh, every single one of my points has the word rejoice in it. Um, and as we go through, um, I want you to not divorce it from the worship of God because this rejoicing done by the servants of God, by the hosts of heaven, is done in worship to God and who he is. So I want you to keep that in mind, even though it doesn't say worship, it's going to say more the word rejoice. I want you to keep in mind that they're worshiping God, right? They're not just having a party for themselves. They're worshiping God. And so our first point uh, through verses one through five is God's servants rejoice at the judgment of the great prostitute. They rejoice at the judgment of Babylon. And we got to see a little glimpse of that um, in chapter 18, verse 20. So John hears this loud voice, this great multitude. And I would say that this is the ones that were called to rejoice in verse 20 of the previous chapter. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles, and prophets, for God has given judgment over you against her. I think this is the saints, this is the prophets, this is the angels, the angelic host of heaven. We even see the 24 elders and the four living creatures add to that praise. They start with a hallelujah. I believe this is the, the first time hallelujah is even mentioned in the New Testament. And uh, it's one of four, all think all of them are in this chapter. Um, the other place we see that would be in the Psalms. Uh, and there's um, Psalms of David where he says, hallelujah. And what it means is praise the Lord. It's um, said as one rejoicing, one with great joy. Praise the Lord. So first thing they rejoice God for, they rejoice in the fact that salvation, power, and glory belong to God. And I think they expound a little bit, or John expounds a little bit more on that um, in, this, in this hallelujah chorus. They ascribe salvation, power, and glory to God. They ascribe salvation, salvation to God's people. We're going to see how God avenges his people. God is their salvation. He's all powerful. He's the omnipotent judge who has the power to judge nations and peoples, right? He is the sovereign God. And this God who judges nations, judges sin and saves his people, he is the one who is deserving of all 
the glory and the worship. So let's look into a little bit more. Why does this multitude ascribe these to God and give him praise? Number two, they rejoice that God's judgments are true and just. I believe Ben Jimenez spoke on this a while back, the justice of God. Um, but I want to I turn to Romans chapter 2. Verse 1, it says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. They're hypocrites. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, And do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness. There will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. The Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. God is not a hypocrite. He does not show partiality in his judgments. He does not show favoritism. Right? So what does that mean for you and for me? That puts us in a pretty dire strait if God is going to judge us according to our works, right? I'm going to leave it there for now. But God is true and he is just. His judgments are right and they are good. So we rejoice, the people of God rejoice that God's judgments are true and just. We also see that they rejoice that God has judged Babylon who has corrupted the earth. Again, we saw this with Jordan last week and I, um, this is the justice of God worked out on Babylon in their destruction. That prostitute who would corrupt the earth. But Jordan also said something in there I really liked. He asked some questions kind of at the end of one of his, uh, one of the end of his sections. And he said, and so it is entirely appropriate for us to rejoice when God judges immoral influences on the world. Would we not rejoice if the abortion industry was completely gone? Would we not rejoice if the pornography industry was completely destroyed? If genocide and ethnic cleansing were annihilated, would we not rejoice. And I hope we would echo, we would, right? So God, they rejoice that God has judged Babylon who has corrupted the earth. I um, listened to a sermon at Kazi a while back and this gentleman, his brother passed away last year. Um, His brother had a son. Brother's not a Christian, 
but he um, he would discourage his son from the things of God. Um, and after uh, his brother died, it opened up the way for the son to come to know Christ as his savior and be, start to be really involved in his church and growing. That message was about roadblocks, that sometimes if there's a roadblock that God will, I don't know, I, I can't remember. He'll either, there's two things, either one, but one of them was getting it out of the way. And I guess the point for this example is that Junior, even though he mourned the death of his brother, because he was going to hell, he was able to rejoice that there was a soul that came to know Christ through that. I think this is kind of a hard truth, but we're to rejoice when God's enemies are judged by him. And how can we do this, right? How can we rejoice when somebody is destined to hell? We don't necessarily rejoice in that aspect. And I don't ask us to rejoice in that aspect, but I ask us to rejoice that it is because God is just and he has made his judgment. That is cause for rejoicing, right? When false teachers and others who are turning people away from God are taken from this world, when their influence is no more, we can rejoice. God is working out his justice. When leaders of regimes that persecute our brothers and sisters, when they fall and are destroyed, we can rejoice because God is working out his justice. But let me be clear, this is God working out his justice, you and I are kind of called to, um, we're called to something different, and we'll get to that in this next part. The people of God rejoice that God has avenged his servants. We've seen this throughout Revelation, this um, keep bringing up saints and servants that are martyrs for the sake of the lamb, and we see that God avenged, <laughs> God's avenging of their blood. In Revelation chapter 6, we won't turn to all these passages, but it mentions the altar of souls who had been slain for the word of God, calling to be avenged by those who live on the earth. We see in Revelation chapter 16, um, when the third bowl is poured out, rivers become blood. Say, just are you, O holy one, for you brought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of the saints, and you have given them blood to drink. Revelation 17 Babylon, the mother of prostitutes, drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. We mention Revelation 18.20. Um, 18.24, and in her was found the blood, speaking about Babylon, and in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. We see the martyrdom of God's saints, and he calls to avenge them. And this isn't just a New Testament teaching in 
Psalms 146.7. It's talking about God and it says, who executes justice for the oppressed. God executes justice for the oppressed. And in this case, it is his people, his saints, his, the ones who are suffering for his, for his word. God will avenge his servants. For those who are feeling the persecution, for those who are being physically tortured, for those who are being killed or know people who are being killed, to them, this should be an encouragement. That God will avenge his servants. I think it's also an encouragement to endure as we've seen in Revelation. I want to turn to Romans chapter 12 here. I mentioned a, a little bit earlier that um, God is the one who judges. We, as his people, while on earth, we don't make the final judgment God does. But what do we do in the meantime? Verse 14, I'm in chapter two here. It says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Wait, I think I just backed up, guys. Sorry. I went 14 and then jumped. My eyes jumped up. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Praise God. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not, over, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You and I are called to love our enemies. We are called to bless those who persecute us. If our enemy is thirsty or hungry, we're told to give him water and a drink. How do we do this? How do we love our enemy? It's so easy to love our brothers and sisters who walk beside us. But for those who try to turn us from God, sometimes there is a time to walk away. But when our enemy has a need, 
God calls us to go out and meet that need. And I think one of the reasons is not just the love of God. I think that's, that's a huge part of it, that we can love others because God has loved us. But also, we don't need to be treating them poorly as though they deserve it, as though this is our judgment on them. Because one day, if they do not repent, God will judge them. God will avenge you if they have persecuted you and have not turned to him. Because if your enemy turns to God, you're going to be praising God with him. So we rejoice that God avenges his servants. How has that worked out in our lives? They rejoice that God's judgment over Babylon is final and eternal. This is wonderful, right? Second hallelujah is cried out. Let's go back to Revelation 19 here. Hallelujah. Once more they cried out, hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. This is the final judgment. Excuse me. It's final and an eternal destruction. It will not raise his, its head again. And I would ask, do you rejoice? Have you rejoiced? And I hope you have. Have you rejoiced when God has rid you of the influence of sin or addiction in your life? I think this one can be a little bit hard sometimes. Some people's lives, sin and addiction, come to God, boom, done, gone. You almost never have to deal with it ever again. Praise God. But there's other things. Our world is... Um, is so full of is so full of Babylon that our sanctification in God sometimes takes longer, right? A little less each time. Take take the example of of I'm just gonna say um, pornography. It is so pervasive in our entertainment on our computers, the very things we do, the temptations are so around. When you fall, you don't, you kind of want to wallow. You, there's, there's no praising God there. But you know what you do? You repent. You come back to the cross. Jesus saving work on the cross. You come to him. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise the Lord. God is sanctifying you if you are his child. 
you can take rejoicing in, in sinning less. God, help me to stop sinning. And you go for a time, rejoice in that. And when you sin, you go to God, you repent. And you rely on his grace and mercy, right? He is sanctifying you. We need to rejoice when God rids our lives of the, of the influence of sin, of sin itself. And there will be a day when we won't even have to worry about temptation. What? We live a life that is, it's a sinful world. We can't get away from it. But one day, One day I won't have to be thinking about myself and my pride gets in the way of a conversation and I've got to, you know, work on my my relationship, I guess. I don't have to worry about the temptation of pornography. I don't have to worry about... um, I don't have to worry about... having the urge to lie or deceive somebody. I won't have the urge to, I don't know. It's almost unfathomable to think about that one day we will be in a world without sin. Praise God. God's judgments are final and we can take rejoice we can rejoice in that and all of god's servants are invited to take part in this celestial rejoicing you see the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped god who was seated on the throne saying amen hallelujah total agreement with this multitude amen hallelujah And from the throne came a voice saying, praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. God caused all of his servants to praise him, right? You know, if you're a child and you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior, you can praise God. If you've been in the church or if you've been saved for, I don't know, 30 plus years, You can give God the praise. Both small and great. The people of God are made up of of every socioeconomic status, of every area of life, rich, poor, middle class. It is open for everyone. So we see that God's servants rejoice at the judgment of the great prostitute. So we kind of see a flip of this. So we move from this judgment of the prostitute to God's servants rejoice at the imminent marriage of the lamb and his bride, right? Goes from this place of immorality, judgment over the immorality of Babylon to 
rejoicing at the just this holy marriage of the lamb and his bride, verses six through nine. So this same multitude breaks out in praise. This time, John kind of describes the voices a little more. It's like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder. He kind of added this one. I feel like it's like this praise is crescendoing, that it's getting louder. I don't know if how many of you have been in a stadium and when people are cheering, I've only ever been like once, and uh, it was so loud, so deafening, you pretty much couldn't hear your own scream. That's how I imagine this. That there is such a multitude, such a magnitude to this praising of, to God that you can't even hear your own voice. Anyway, sorry. It just sounds, sounds wonderful. Hallelujah. For the Lord our God the Almighty reigns. He has judged Babylon, the great prostitute. And now we give praise that he is reigning. They rejoice in the fact that the Almighty God is reigning. In, uh, in Revelation chapter 11, It says, then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices, verse 15, saying, the kingdom of the world has come, has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. See that, see that kingdom switch there? The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came and the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints and those who fear your name, both small and great and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. God is reigning. Hallelujah, for the Lord God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. I kind of skipped the, that first part, but we were, the people of God rejoice that the bride has made herself ready. And what has she made herself ready with? Verse eight, it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. This speaks of, well, we see the fine clothing as the righteous deeds of the, th- of the saints. I think this speaks toward the holiness of God's bride. Right? 
in Revelation chapter 7. I want to turn there real quick. Verse 9 says, Then I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. I feel like this is an interesting section because it talks about the righteous deeds of the saints. Um, and oftentimes we think of that, I think, think of that verse, there is none righteous, no, not one. Right? You and I are not righteous by any means. We are sinful. Right? So how, how can we clothe ourselves with the righteous deeds of the saints? Well, for one, we clothe ourselves with, with the righteousness of Christ and the blood of the Lamb. Right? The cross. Christ paid the price and he has given us his righteousness if we believe in him. Right. I'm going to turn to Ephesians 5. Verse 25, it says, Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her. And this is... Christ's sanctifying work that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. What? (laughs) That Christ can bring us That he, that he will present the church to himself, she will be holy and without blemish. Oh, this is, this is, this is wonderful, right? It's, it is by the work of Christ, right? That we can come before him holy and blameless. But it still says here, the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, 
so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. As saints, as believers in Jesus Christ, right? We are sinful beings. But if as saints who believe in Jesus, right, that Jesus is the Son of God, we take on his righteousness, but we don't just take on his righteousness and that's it. And we can do whatever we want and we can sin and we're covered by the righteousness of Christ, right? By no means should we presume upon the grace of God. But there's this wonderful thing that God has called his saints to, and that is to good works. So when you have believed on him, right? You are called to do righteous deeds. These righteous deeds that you could not do before Christ. This is, so that being said, I think we are clothed in both by the righteousness of Christ. We cannot deny that we are clothed by the righteousness of Christ by faith, but we are also clothed by the righteous deeds that he empowers us to walk in here on earth. The bride has made herself ready. She has prepared herself. I just want you to notice that it says it was granted to her to clothe herself. Again, those righteous deeds are a work of God, right? That robe of righteous deeds is given by God. We can give him praise for that. We rejoice the bride has made herself ready. So I'd, I'd make a call to what Jesus said, be holy for I am holy. Again, it's that sanctification process, right? We're not, boom, saved, never sin anymore. I wish it were. I I really do. We have to keep coming to Christ. We have to keep turning from our sin. We have to keep repenting. And there's areas in our life that we have gotten comfortable with. We have gotten content in our sin. Are you content with a little bit of Babylon in you? Children who believed on Jesus. How are, how are your actions toward your parents? Do you obey your parents in the Lord for this is right? Do you try and deceive your parents? I remember when I was in school, I was homeschooled. Oh man. <laughs> I would have like three writing assignments. I'd do one. I'd give it to my mom and then hope she would forget about the other two writing assignments. We weren't part of a co-op or anything. And oftentimes she would and other times she wouldn't. 
But I just want to say that as a child, I was deceitful. Right? Are you content with that? Are you okay with lying to your parents? Are you okay with deceiving them? How you treat your brothers and sisters? Are you okay that, you know, she got angry at me so I can get angry at you? Young men and women, especially in the United States, we are so plagued with sexual immorality. Are you okay with, are you okay with the things that you're doing because it's, it's just part of the culture? Husbands and wives. I've only been married a little over two years now, but I do know that in the marriage relationship, I have a lot of pride in my life. And it comes out, really does, in short bursts or a little bit of anger or a little bit of disdain a little bit of being lax in keeping up with the spiritual well-being of my wife and child. Am I okay with that? God is presenting us before him in robes of righteousness. And obviously we can't present ourselves before Jesus by ourselves. That doesn't work right? Because we are sinful, but we need to turn to God. We need to repent. We need to continue with that sanctifying process that won't be perfect until, (laughs) until we are with him in the air. He did not redeem a people for himself and leave them filthy in their sins. I stole this from somebody else. I thought it was great. Amen. God has redeemed a people for himself and he will present her holy and blameless. Amen. So we rejoice that the marriage of the lamb has come and I'm about out of time. I'm gonna try and finish this last section here. Rejoice that the marriage of the lamb has come. Part of that was that the bride has made herself ready, right? Bride is making herself ready. There's... The, the ceremony, the marriage of the lamb, and afterwards the, the feast. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. And it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. marriage of of Christ and his bride 
this joining of Christ and his church. I just want to turn back to, I just read that section in Ephesians again. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So beautiful. We only, we only get to see a glimpse of this, right, in our marriages maybe in other people's marriages, right? Or at least I hope we're able to see a glimpse of that in, in our marriages if we have believed on Jesus, if we are his, his saints. That one day we will be rejoicing in union with God and communion with him. For the people of Babylon, it was judgment, right? For the people of God, that judgment is averted by the blood of the lamb. Just like in in Exodus, the angel of death was coming over Egypt, taking the firstborn. The Israelites had the blood of the lamb on the doorposts. They were covered. And so for the people of God, we are covered by the blood of the lamb, praise God. But if you have not believed on Jesus Christ, if you have not been covered by the blood of the lamb, what fate is there for you is the fate of Babylon, of destruction, of a final destruction. For the people of God, judgment is averted by the blood of the Lamb. Say culminating in this in this marriage, this marriage feast. It says there are those invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb, and I know Jesus told a parable about the uh, the kingdom of God and talked about people being invited and also use the robes and garments and he came in and there was somebody not wearing the right garments and he got kicked out, right? But I would say that the bride and the people invited here are just the collective people of God. He says, blessed are those who who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The only true place of blessedness is in the presence of the Lamb. And these are the true words of God. That little last section, kind of angel point, the angel points John back to God. Worship God. I am a fellow servant with you. Worship God. Let us push one another to worship God. So in conclusion, we are to rejoice and worship God when his enemies are destroyed in justice, 
And we are to have, I think, an even greater rejoicing and endurance as we, the saints, look forward to the marriage of the Lamb. Let us, with the granting of Christ, make ourselves ready and do the righteous works that he's prepared for us to do. Be ready. Rejoice in these truths. Worship God. So as we come into this time of communion, um, we... we can look back on the work of the Lamb, of the cross. That he took the judgment for those who would believe on him. And we will, you know, we're, we partake in this communion, this kind of supper of sorts. As we come together as the body of Christ and remember, remember the price that Christ paid on the cross, that we remember the forgiveness of sins that he offers to us. <laughs>